What is up? This is your host, Brett McGrath. I collect sports cards. This is a podcast called Stacking Slabs. It is a show about collecting sports cards. I'm happy that you are tuning in today for the conversation. I want to first kick things off by thanking our unofficial sponsors. This show wouldn't be possible without you. Of course, the listener is the most important element, but these unofficial sponsors have really been the ones to help keep the lights on so you all can enjoy this fine programming free of charge. Um, so I want to say thank you to our good friends at O'Charlie's. Coastal Cravings, don't miss the boat. You are looking for some fried seafood in a family-friendly environment and all of the rolls that you can possibly consume. Go to O'Charlie's. Take your family there. Go on your first date there. Reconnect with old friends at the bar there. O'Charlie's, a great family establishment. As a matter of fact, on Friday, I got a text from my wife. She said, I got to drop off a return from Gap, and you can do that at Staples. So we decided to, when I was done with work, get in the car, bring our daughter along for the ride. We don't leave her at home when we're not here. Try to be good parents. Um, and when we did the drop-off, we saw the O'Charlie's shining in front of us, and we said, let's go support our unofficial sponsor. I did not take part in the Coastal Cravings. I decided to opt for a half rack of baby back ribs with two sides, french fries and salad with the ranch dressing. It was phenomenal. I left my stomach's full. I left so happy, and we took that into uh, building a really solid momentum around our Friday night. So if you're looking for a new place or old place, again, check out O'Charlie's. I am excited. As I record this, I've gotten one night under my belt from WrestleMania, which I thought was a ton of fun. I Something about WrestleMania always, it just has that big feel. My favorite weekend of the year. Really enjoyed the show. The Charlotte and Rhea match. Logan Paul, Seth Rollins. John Cena's entrance with Make-A-Wish Foundation. And then obviously the culmination of the KO versus KO and Sammy going over the Usos. Just a great moment. I'm sitting here on the other side. It will all, The dust will all have already been settled with the... Uh, Roman Reigns and Cody Rhodes of it all, but uh, I can't wait. I'm we're going to the zoo to kill some time, do a little zoo trip, then uh, get some dinner in us. Um, probably not going to do O'Charlie's for the second time in two, three days, but uh, you never know. Um, but yeah, I love uh, uh, WrestleMania. Uh, it's so much fun. Um, this episode, I'm going to be talking about bidding on cards. I'm going to be talking about negotiating. And then I posted this on Instagram. I want to share some of the responses of what makes something collectible. Talked a little bit about this with Jameson, but I can't believe a year one is in the books with the Panini license. Um, and so much of the wrestling card community rules, and there's been so much conversation uh, around it. And I just think there's so much opportunity and momentum for fans of wrestling and wrestling card um, collectors abound to get involved. So I'm excited to see continued growth on that front, a segment that I operate in. And I think like there has been a lot of 
uh, negativity just in general online about Panini. Um, one thing that I'll state is that when I got back into the hobby, uh, you know, it was the introduction of Panini products, Prism most specifically. Um, so for me, there is a sense of nostalgia for a lot of Panini products because that's when I got back into the mix and Fanatics is coming in, taking over and who knows what kind of changes are going to take place. But I think what I want to say is like, there's something to be said about having a connection with primary products that were available when we re-entered the hobby. I hear other people talk about it just with some Topps Chrome stuff, older sets from a long time ago. And I think my experience just in general and what I collect and what I like um, on the Panini side has been positive. I'm buying cards on the secondary market and wrestling cards and Panini wrestling cards has been a big part of that for me. And I will always like the tops Chrome and finest stuff from on the wrestling front, but I, I'm really enjoying kind of what, where Panini has, what Panini has done with this license and where it is going into 2023. I am watching all the pro days. I'm watching all these guys uh, throw the ball around through scripted environments. And I'm just, I feel like I've been waiting for this draft pick forever. You've got so many dynamics, so much going on, but I'm ready for the Colts to secure the future. And is the future going to work? Who knows? But I have a lot of confidence, especially with our new coach and his track record with the quarterback. And I am not going to get down about drafting one guy over the other. To me, there are so many different pieces that are involved in a decision, whether to trade, whether to not, whether to move up, whether to move back, whether to take this guy, take that guy. It's like these guys are spending every second of every day working and thinking through all the scenarios, and I'm just a fan. So I feel like I will cast judgment Um, Once said player hits the field and we get a body of work to critique, but that's where I'm at for now. I'm just ready for a new player to come in and be the quarterback of my team. And although I've had fun on collecting on the QB carousel, um, as a matter of fact, I got in today a Matt Ryan gold prism and I had to have that Matt Ryan Colts gold prism. I know it didn't in well and it wasn't the season we wanted but to me as a collector and what i like and what i collect is that that gold prism card signifies that year and so whenever i throughout the documentation of my colts quarterback collecting i've got to have that piece so glad i could get that one in and uh we'll see i can assure you that Whoever the quarterback is going into next season, the price of their gold prism card is probably going to be 10x what I maybe even higher what I paid for the Matt Ryan, but that's how it goes in the hobby. I would be remiss to not talk about the Beckett of it all. And I'm actually heading for a break. I am getting out of Dodge. It is a late spring break, but I'm getting out of Dodge here uh, next week. And so in preparing for that, I'm thinking about content and I always try to keep the train engine moving. I think consistency is critical for any creator. Um, And I hope if you 
listen to this podcast and you're a fan of this show, you feel like the host is a pretty reliable person. Um, and the reliability comes from a place of passion. It also comes from unofficial sponsors like O'Charlie's giving me as much bread and baby back ribs and coastal cravings as I could possibly imagine. But when I was thinking about, okay, me being gone, I'm probably going to have to double up on these episodes this week just to make sure the trains keep moving. Um, the one topic that I thought about for that might make for a interesting conversation is just on the Beckett stuff. So I am probably going to create a entire uh, episode next week, next Wednesday, it'll probably drop just regarding Beckett. And I think what's good about this is the fact that the dust will have settled a little bit. The conversation online will have pulled back. Everybody this week is going to be making fun, pointing fingers, sharing getting on their platforms, saying the same stuff that everyone else is saying. And so I'm going to take a little break. And instead of just getting right into it, I'm going to let, use the next several days, just let it all wash over me and come at it at an angle that I hope is helpful to everyone. Um, so I am planning on doing that. So be on the lookout. You'll you'll hear from me on that front. Um, and hopefully you all got a chance to um, listen to the conversation with Jameson Exquisite Sports Collectibles. Exquisite Sports Collectibles. Let me say that again. Got a little tongue tied. Um, and I cut the clip when I was promoting the episode about Jameson saying he's not made of infinite money. And I would imagine 99.9% .9 of the people listening to this podcast aren't made of infinite money. And because of that and the recognition that we only have so much that we can spend and use to operate on sports cards. It allows, uh, it, it forces us to be not only selective with our decisions, but it also forces us to keep constant movement. Um, he mentioned that there's a collector narrative that exists, which I think there does around selling and that we shouldn't be selling cards that we're building in our collection. And I actually haven't heard it in a while, but I, I there was this sense I had when I was getting going in the hobby that like if I posted a card and had a story of why I bought this card and then six months later I was selling this card, like there were people judging me because of that. I felt that. And I'll be the first to explain to you is I don't care what anyone thinks about my me personally or the uh, collection I'm building, it's the last thing I care about. But that sen I sensed that. And so I, when Jameson was talking about that, I understood where he's coming from. I could not care less about anyone who's buying, selling, trading their collection, who might post a card and post a passionate post and why this was a big card for them and then a few months later sell it. And the reason I don't care is because there's so much unexpected that is a part of this hobby and cards pop up that force us. If you're, in my opinion, if you're doing this right, cards pop up that completely change the rules that you have built for your own collection. And I wish more people spent time honestly worrying about themselves in their cards than other people. It feels very high school at times, which I think is lame. And I feel like whenever I see certain things, sometimes Although I'm very public because I'm doing this show about what I think in my opinion, it makes me want to just kind of like pull back and just kind of 
be by myself and collect in silence. And those who collect in silence and don't participate in the online conversation because of so many reasons and things that I just mentioned, like I get it. Like I understand. I certainly feel and think that there is a level up in superpower by connecting with your community, getting people to understand what you like so that, that if they're at the shows or if they see the listing first online, they'll send it to you and you're likelier to get the cards you want. I get it. But I think there's also this element that I understand deeply about having a passion for collecting and not want to deal with all the other bullshit because there is so much bullshit that comes. I think we should be supporting other members of the community in a better way rather than just trashing them. And sometimes people bring it on themselves. I think you know, we saw posts within the last you know few days that there was a lot of people spinning up and conversation around um, po- posts about people saying that the goal of the hobby is to make money. I think that's pretty silly. Um, also, you know, the whole charging people for picks bullshit that exists. I think that's silly. Um, there's a bunch of losers who are narcissists and create around themselves and want everyone to see them. I think that's silly. And Although you can think about this or you can disregard it, it's really your choice. We all are, if we're participating and engaging in the online community, we are building and developing our brand. Now, it might not be like Logan Paul style, right? Where we got a drink, we're putting our face out there, we're on WWE, we're creating YouTube videos and we're trying to monetize. And that's not what I mean. I mean, regard like brand to me is what other people are saying when you're not in the room. And whether you like it or not, that is happening. So just what I can say, it's like, we all have different situations. We all have different philosophies. We all have different strategies. And never let anyone tell you what you're doing is right or wrong, unless you're putting content out there that's self-induced and all wanting to drive your own motives and initiatives with no care for anyone else. Then we'll probably point fingers at you and I'll laugh, but until then, let's just collect some damn sports cards and have fun. And a guy who collects sports cards and has fun is mostly 90s basketball cards, David. Um, we've had a lot of interactions over time. I like his philosophy, like what he likes to collect. So having him on the program this Friday, you're going to want to tune into that conversation. I'm really excited. Transitioning into This idea that hasn't been referenced on this program in a while, but I think is critical to understand. And a lot of the things that I talk about are from personal experience and stuff that people already know. But I think a reminder around those things, because they're important, helps uh, add value. Or at least I think it does for the listener out there. So I think that point is like, it takes two to tango on a card or something like that, right? We're going to reference Billy Madison a little bit. Is that Billy Madison? Or is it hat? I like the old school Sandler films. Sign me up. I could watch Happy Gilmore, Big uh, Big Daddy, Billy Madison all day, any day. It's the nostalgia factor, everybody. But I think it just, it takes two to tango on a card and for a card to reach a certain value. One of the cards that uh, popped into my hemisphere, hit the watch. And then once I hit the watch, um, got a lot of messages about it. Basically because I'm in groups or know people who might be interested or connected to this card. So it was the 2014 totally certified Joe Montana Platinum uh, Mirror uh, Blue Parallel out of 10. Now, when I saw this card, I was like, this is a card I could want for sure because it fits a product that I love. It is, um, there was a, it was a lot of qualifiers. And I think 
when the card got posted, I immediately got struck with this feeling like I needed to add it to my collection. And it is a part of kind of a set I'm collecting. And it's also of one of the best, uh, not just quarterbacks, but players to ever play the game. And I like to study the market when I card pops and I like it. And it's something that I might bet on. And when I think about studying market, I don't just think about prices. The prices are a big part of studying the market. And that's what I think most people say is like, what is the fluctuation? What's happened? But I also think it's like the cards in the catalog. So understanding a player's cards and a catalog and this one specifically, how it fits in. But I also think the most important factor is like one thing we have at our disposal is information on people. We know that there might not be any. There might be a lot of people that might be after this card because we have built relationships and have a knowledge set that is unique based on those relationships. And I know when this card popped up that there were going to be uh, Montana collectors that were after this. And I know a lot of Montana collectors. And also what I'll say specifically about this card and like Montana and his catalog of cards, and I just want to hit this, is that it's interesting because a lot of his cards that are collectible are post-playing day stuff. And so he's unique in this way where I don't necessarily go after post-playing days cards, but with Joe Montana, just based on when he played, there's almost an exception. And this card certainly would be an exception. So I talked about the Montana stuff. I think there was there's also just this group of people that love 2014 totally certified mirror stuff. So these to me are converging. And so when I was evaluating this, I was I said to myself, this is a card I'm probably interested in. Um and also, you know, I just opened the door on buying some Mahomes stuff. So when you open the door on buying Mahomes stuff, then it opens the door for, well, I, I probably should have a Montana card or two. So you've got Montana collectors, totally certified collectors that I'm going into this. And I had I had seen a lot of chatter, a lot of people telling me they're going after this card. And so for me, based on that information, I kind of, I sat back a little bit. I was like, this is probably not a card for me, but I'm just going to sit back. And then when the card was about two minutes to go, I was like really thinking about putting in a big bid and I literally froze. I froze and then the card got done and then the card sold for like half of what I thought it was going to go for and immediately had a regret. And what I found out after the fact is some of the people that I thought were going after this card got busy. It happens. It happens to me all the time. And I, if I would have put in the big bid, who would have known the person who ended up wanting it maybe had a bid bigger than me. It's how it all works. But I think to me, the lesson that I learned is someone got a deal on that card from my point of view, and it takes two, two tangos. So don't ever like, no matter how much information you have and no matter how much you think a card is going for, put in a bid, like don't freeze, put in a bid. It could have shot up, but who I would still, at least I would have known it shot up and I gave it a shot. That's just one experience that I went through this last week and wanted to call it out. The other one that I think is important is just the negotiation of cards on platforms like eBay. I think cards hit that you love all the time, every week, maybe even every day. Um, but you got to have a process to understand how you're going to go after that. 
To me, my process is around like a feel spot measurement. Like how much does this tickle me? How much does this card get in my brain? How much does do I think about it in between meetings when I wake up in the morning? Like that sort of thing. I think you've got to have this evaluation of price point. Understanding data is critical in making sure that you have a price in your head for what you would feel comfortable paying that. And I think uh, most cases... The J, in, in most cases, the data check might be irrelevant, okay? So, and I, what I mean by that is that Jameson said this, like we are operating in a different market and a comp a year or two years ago might not even matter based on a comp now. I think there's this like man in the mirror element too. It's like, what if this card, looking in man in the mirror, I'm not just referencing a Michael Jackson card, the king of pop, shout out, RIP. But if this, it's looking at yourself in the mirror and it's like, what if this card for, went up for auction? How high, high would you bid it? I think that is an important question we should always be asking ourselves. And then what would, it ha- or what would make you happy to, for it to land on? I think every card is different and it's case by case. What is the level of interest that this card could, could go based on the popularity of the player parallel or set? This is like information because you are buying similar cards or cards of a player that you should know because you know the people who are buying those cards regularly. Um, You usually aren't thinking about it that much if it's not a primary PC. I think leveraging intangible information that you've gained over time is critical. The maturation I think that happens, which is really important, is um, if you can wait and want a better shot at the price, then wait. And what I mean by that is people list cards all the time that are probably 40 maybe 50% of what you'd pay and they put, make an offer on it. Now, everyone sellers got a different philosophy on how they use, make an offer based on their price point. But I think one thing that we have at our advantage is we can see if there are competing offers or not. We have the ability to see that on a platform like eBay and we should use that to our advantage. So there was a card and I think only maniacs smash bin. Sometimes you have to be a maniac, but I think the feedback that I have is if you feel like a card is priced too high, you really want it, monitor the competing offers. How many sleeps can you get in as a buyer where there's not another competing offer and that card is still available? The more the time passes, the more leverage you have as the buyer because you know the seller probably wants to move this card and they don't have any interest or legitimate interest at this point. I think, so for, for me, this happened this past week. It was the 2022 Roman Reigns Gold Shimmer out of three, first off the line. So the first off the line and the debut product of WWE is out of three. There's only three copies of this card. PSA 10 was made public, made available, and this was the scenario. It was put up for a price that I did not want to pay or feel comfortable with paying. Make an offer was on, and I looked at it five times a day. Five times a day, I would pull up this listing and see if there were any offers. Now, on about the sixth or seventh day, maybe it was fifth, it was about the within the first week at the end of the week of this card being listed, I finally realized I I looked at some situational stuff. One. The seller likely wants to move this card pre-WrestleMania, mostly because, and not that I think this really matters with wrestling cards, but the, there's a strong likelihood that 
Roman could be taking a break after Mania. So they want to move this card. Um, so I'm trying to understand the external factors that exist. And I'm understanding the activity or lack of activity. And so when Friday rolled around, I said to myself, okay, enough time has passed. I've got some information. I'm going to throw a, uh, my offer out and I'm going to send a message. I always send a message. And so what that did is it was started a conversation. And the conversations are the most important part of these negotiations. And then finally, I ended my... Uh, they countered and I responded back with my final. And I told them that I said, this is my top. If you want it, great. If you want to take it, great. If not, no worries, but I'm there's no more negotiation. I just said that because I felt comfortable, felt comfortable based on the information that I had. I felt comfortable based on the price that I was offering, that it wasn't a, a low ball price. It was a very fair offer, but I knew that the seller hadn't had many legitimate offers and I was okay to walk away with if he wanted to go higher. And I think that's really important. It's always good to walk away. And so I wanted to share that because it's one of the biggest evolutions I've had in the hobby. I'm a bit maniac bin smasher a lot of the time, but when you reach a certain price point on a card, it's better to wait. It's better to be patient, communicate, have your process. The more mm -hmm. I've done that, the better results I have gotten. I want to close this episode out. I asked the community, what makes something collectible? I'm going to rip through some of these and then we will be on our way. Josh Nipper, other people wanting it. Justin Robinson, personal desire. Wrestling card wizard, historical value, real or representation. Paper street sports cards, a connection to our past, nostalgia or present enjoyment or future hope. Love it. Valenency cards, being meaningful, perceived scarcity, value. Mostly 90s basketball cards, our guest for Friday, significance and rarity. Lakeside Collects, tugs at our emotional part of our brain. Out-of-step trading, cultural relevance, cards and sneaks. On some level, it has to have an emotional connection, usually positive. If we love, we want it. Tasty card sandwich. You like it enough to track it down, spend money on it, and keep it more. Rip City Trading Cards, natural scarcity, demand, aesthetics, relevance, to sports and events. Mad City Collector, a collectible has visual, cultural, and personal appeal to the people that they who want it. Chicago Bear Cards. It's about a combo of rarity and nostalgia for me. In far side of sports, the collector. There are so many factors and they all vary, but there's a lot of similarities on what makes something collectible. What makes something collectible to you? It's something we should always be exploring. Make sure you check out the conversation on Friday, mostly 90s basketball cards. David, it's going to be a ton of fun. We're going to be having a blast here on the Stacking Slabs podcast because we always do. Thank you so much for listening. Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. We'll be back. More Stacking Slabs soon. Peace.